Welcome to Real Food, Real Conversations with Sophia DeSantis, where we focus on finding our happy balance between salad and fries. Everybody, welcome back to the Real Food Real Conversations podcast with me, Sophia DeSantis. I am so excited to have you guys here today, um, especially with my guests that I have. Um, this is episode 86, which is so exciting to me. When I started this, I did not imagine that I would be this far into it um, and still be absolutely loving it. Um, so today I have my friend Maya Feller here, and we are going to talk about um, something that I feel can you know, maybe be a little bit button pushy when you come to social media. There's a lot of opinions, especially these days. And I'm so happy to have this open flat platform to talk with Maya today. But first, welcome, Maya. Can you introduce yourself to everybody? You are incredible based on your bio. I'm just so much you do. And I'm so excited to have you here. Well, thanks for having me, Sophia. So yeah, I'm a registered dietitian and I'm based in New York. Um, my practice, uh, so we serve people <clears throat> mainly who have non-communicable conditions. So that would be diabetes, cardiometabolic disorders um, or diseases. Uh, and we really work from, I would say, a patient-centered, inclusive lens. And I know that people throw all of those words around a lot, but um, in my practice, we really work to make people feel seen and heard so that they are partners in their care and that we come up with sustainable kind of nutrition solutions that work for the individual, right? That they find beneficial. And then- I love that. Well, thanks. Yeah, so then the other part of the work that I do is um, I have written one cookbook and it is a cookbook uh, specifically for people who are living with diabetes um, or people who, you know, are interested in thinking about carbohydrate literacy and kind of how that impacts, I would say, their blood glucose and insulin levels. Um, and it's a Southern Comfort Food Diabetes Cookbook. And so it is a lot of the American Southern Comfort Foods that we know and love that have been modified with carbohydrate literacy in mind. Um, and so that is one cookbook that I've worked on. And then the other book I have is actually forthcoming. It'll be out in the fall of 22. And um, I can say, stay tuned for that. It's just a, what I can say is that it's a love letter to the globe with flavor at the forefront. I love that. I'm so excited. I can't wait to hear what that is all about. Yeah, it'll. I, I think it's going to be, and I say this all the time, I'm like, either the world of nutrition will say like, yes, or they will be like, oh, no. And I think that's because, you know, there's so many polar opposites. And as you started out by saying, Sophia, there is like a lot of opinion, you know, yes. um, and opinion creates fractures because it's like we're moving away from some evidence and fact, um, and then living in the opinion land. Um, 
So yeah, I think people will either really love it or, or hate it. And I say the reason, the reason I say that is because there is sugar, there is fat, there is salt, and we move around the world and there is meat um, and there's red meat and there's pork. Um, so, you know, people might have some feelings about a dietitian writing recipes that have those types of ingredients. And I always say, you know, when you leave certain areas, people do eat those foods. Um, and so if we're really going to work from an anti-bias, non-judgmental food lens, then we need to know that folks are eating a huge array of foods. And the question is, you know, how do we interact with them and how do we have conversations that are open and honest? Um, And when health is at the forefront, if a condition has been diagnosed, how do we work with them so that they can continue to engage in patterns that honor their culture and who they are without them feeling shame? A hundred percent. And I, um, I don't know if you know, but I am first generation, um, Greek. Uh, My parents are Greek immigrants and came to this country to build, you know, a better life and are the true, like, you, in my eyes, like heroes, American dream. I mean, they came and started with nothing. My mom grew up extremely poor in the villages of Greece um, to the point where she didn't know she was going to eat every day. And they, you know, in the Greek villages, (laughs) there's no, like, there's no bonds, you know, like when she grew up, they, they raised animals and like that was their food eventually as the animal and, you know, went towards the end of its life. And like, it was the cycle of what happened. And that's all she knew because that was how she lived. I mean, and that's the thing we tend to forget. And even me, you know, I grew up here when we started our life, like my parents, my mom cried everyone when they raised enough money to buy their first house, because as they paid their mortgage, they didn't know, you know, what, if, if, and when they could sustain us. And they both worked full time. And I am, an extremely blessed individual to have these parents who gave everything to give me a better life. And I live a very comfortable life now because of them. But we tend to forget that, that it, even for me, once removed, it came from, I, I mean, it's amazing where my mother came from, you know, like, and now she's, it, it's, she does, you know, she just has such a different outlook when she looks at, you know, diet and culture and all those kinds of things. So people forget that they forget that it's not the same out of their bubble. <laughs> right. I mean, and, and not only do people forget, they put their biased opinions on yes. the forgetting, right? So it's exactly. like, exactly. you know, we all have implicit bias, right? We just do. right. Um, and so what happens and what I see a lot in, in the world of nutrition and wellness and is that, patients report back to me, you know, they went in for a health screening and they met with their doctor or another dietitian who made a whole host of assumptions about them before allowing the patient to actually say, this is my lived experience, right? Right. So they might have elevated lipids or not, or they might have elevated blood sugars or not. But then it's like, how many people hear, oh, my mom was Greek. And they're like, oh, wow, you guys must have grown up like eating this, 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 and this, because there is an assumption around what it means to be Greek in the wellness world, right? Right. People don't know whether or not that was actually your experience or your mother's experience. And then if on the other side, imagine you have a patient who's from Lebanon, people make all sorts of assumptions about that. And so 
you know, I think it's, I like that you said, right, we forget. Um, and I think we forget that like people around the world do eat and that food for many people is something that they engage with from the perspective of peeling, chopping, cutting, you know, spending yes. time with. And for many people, you know, security around food is a major discussion. Yes. Right? And, and then the implications of that are, 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 I would say, really wide reaching, right? Like, what is the the outcome, if you have a family that is regularly experiencing food insecurity and they have recently migrated here or their second generation living in a lower income home, what does that look like? And those can be different, right? So someone can migrate with plenty of money and someone can migrate with not very much money trying to come here to make a better beginning. Um, and so I think that has to be a part of our learning as clinicians when we're serving people. And I also think that another thing to, you know, throw into that list is there could be somebody like my mother who came here with no money and, you know, barely made it, worked as a cook to put herself through graduate school. Um, in, I mean, worked just alongside a cook washing dishes. She wasn't the cook, she was washing the dishes <laughs> um, to put herself through graduate school and now has a very cush life and has plenty of money Yet she still, because of this past and because of where she came from, she still doesn't, you know, if people assume like she shops at Whole Foods, she still doesn't do that because it's just not her choice, you know, even though she can. So I think that that's also, I think a lot of assumptions are made just because someone is comfortable that, oh, here, you should buy this product, this product, this product, you should be, you afford that. Why don't you buy it? And it's like, well, just because somebody can afford something doesn't mean they, they do it. Well, also the other thing too, Sophia, is like, you know, Whole Foods is not where everybody wants to shop, right? Exactly. So it's like they're like Whole Foods, right? Yes, they do have, you know, fresh fruits, vegetables and quote unquote better for you products, but it doesn't necessarily mean that everybody feels a comfortable walking in those doors or identifies with that as the path for wellness. A hundred percent. And that's kind of like our subject today is I really want to focus on is this whole... and. I try really hard when I started in this space, um, cause I run a plant-based food blog and I like to use the word plant-based versus vegan. Cause we are not vegan. We changed our diet for my husband's health. He had, um, chronic, um, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, and his cardiologist suggested that instead of increasing his medication, when it stopped working after we had two kids about a year apart and his stress level went slightly up, yeah. um, that he try, you know, altering his diet. And within three months, he was extremely successful and has not been on medication since. But when I entered, that's how my business came about was because of that. And when I entered the space, I felt like it was very um, close-minded for lack of a better word, um, mm -hmm. because I felt like it was, you know, all these superfood products and this and that and, and dairy for this. And, and I, I found this space where, I didn't see it accessible for everybody. And even, I mean, even though we could probably afford some of those things accessible for me with two babies, I don't have time to shop at specialty stores. I needed to have a one-stop shop where I can get my Buffalo wing sauce that I absolutely love and my fruits and vegetables that, you know, like I, I couldn't, you know, I, I couldn't go to a million stores at that point in my life. So I, I feel like this space can be scary for some people. And um, because of that, people don't want to enter it. 
and I'm trying, I, I really, you know, my goal is to open this space for accessible to everybody. And also, you know, fresh fruits and vegetables are great, but like, if you shop at the local 99 cent store and they have frozen veggies on sale, oh my gosh, stock up. They're amazing. You know, like there's so many ways to do plant-based and there's so many ways to do quote unquote healthy food. I, I mean, I would absolutely agree, you know, to your kind of one of your points around the wellness space is not accessible. Um, I would say historically, you know, when we look at kind of the media imagery around who portrays wellness and kind of yes. the, the face of wellness. Yeah, there is a very specific look and I, you know, I'm always very open. It is a, I would say, pretty white, middle to mm-hmm. upper middle class, cisgender, heteronormative look, right? Thin, so, gir- thin girl um, as well. well. Well, I would also say, so not only thin, but quote unquote, able-bodied, right? Yes. Because yes. to be well, the person you have to run, you need to jump, um, yes. you know, to fit into whatever the media marketing around wellness looks like. Um, and, and I think, I mean, what the research says, right, and what is coming out in some other papers, so some nutrition spaces, but a lot of kind of, you know, um, doctors who are coming together and looking at uh, social determinants of health and systemic racism and its impact on stress levels and then subsequent health outcomes, they're finding that, you know, because people don't see representations of themselves, right? So that can be for people who are Black, Brown, Latinx, and Indigenous folks, don't see representations of themselves in mainstream media wellness, that it's like the, the, the kind of unspoken, you know, I would say words are, this is not a space for you, right? And so then people right. spaces where they fit. Um, the other thing that I like to add on to that too, is that it's also an affluent space, right? So that means that lower income white people are not also welcomed in that space. Right. Uh, so there's a very narrow subset of the U.S. population that can fit there. And, you know, with pro- probably the more, you know, the, the patterns of eating or the diets that win the top ranking, um, the Mediterranean diet is up there, but it's the very specific Mediterranean diet, right? Even though there are 22 regions around the Mediterranean, usually it is a very specific Mediterranean diet that is allowed into that kind of wellness way. Um, And then the DASH diet is the other diet that people tend to love. Um, So at the core, both of those patterns of eating, of course, there's plenty of research and data. The health outcomes are incredible, right? We see reduction in total blood pressure. We see a reduction in lipids. We see an improvement, you know, in insulin sensitivity, you know, and also blood sugar levels. So yeah, at the core, those patterns of eating are excellent, but again, they don't really, you know, when you see them like on a piece of paper, it's hard to translate it in terms of, you know, race and ethnicity to people who don't eat in those ways. Um, And so I think from the media to the fact that we constantly push out these like very prescriptive patterns of eating, there are a lot of people who don't feel welcome in wellness spaces, right? Um, Absolutely. 
they just say like, oh, is that for me? You know, like now we accept curry, you know, so now it's a good thing because people are finally onto curcumin and black pepper and they're like, it's a major antioxidant. And we're like, but meanwhile, that's been happening around. Yes. (laughs) We've known Um, that for centuries, but cool. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Right. Or like everyone's on their avocado toast. Um, They're like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Um, But yeah, so it's like wellness is, it's super narrow, you know, and And it's funny because you and I are in a space where we're talking about, you know, radicalizing it. And I don't even say liberalize, I mean, radicalizing it. But there are all of these TikTokers out there that are doing, my friend just told me the other day, a colleague of mine who's a dietitian, this madness, like lettuce water. And you know what I mean? And I'm just like, it's like you make one step forward and then you're still battling this like incredible, like extreme restrictive thinking that, you know, there's only one path to health and that means like punishment and suffering, um, you know, and drinking lettuce water or putting lemon into your coffee. Right. I don't get it. I don't get it. Well, and that's the thing. And like, that's the thing with me is I, and it's hard. I mean, I, I mean, I'm, yes, I'm first generation Greek, but you look at me I, and I am a small little white girl, you know, like I am, but that's, you know, my culture is, I actually, what's funny is I, my college essay was actually really on this subject of um, when I have to take the box that I'm white, mm-hmm. which being a first generation Greek and having so much culture, I grew up in such a culture rich environment. Greek was my first language. And I I found nowhere to express that anywhere. And, you know, Greek culture is pretty heavy. Like there, you know, my, we're the only people that live down here, but my entire family is in Northern California and it's a very tight, you know, specific heavy culture. And, and that was what my college essay was on that when we, you know, I don't get to celebrate my culture really anywhere. I don't get to express it. And people don't really know that about me unless I like, you know, tell them. And when it came to wellness, I, in in my space, in my website, I have recreated all of the recipes, not a hundred percent, all of them quite yet, but I am on, you know, the kick of creating all the recipes I grew up with in, uh, into a plant-based version, because I want my husband to enjoy them. And he does, he cannot eat meat, you know, he'll eat some dairy from time to time, but he cannot eat meat for his own health. And so I, I try and recreate these, you know, to, to celebrate my ethnicity and my culture and, and to show people that you can you know, if you have been diagnosed with something, if there is a need that, you know, you, 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 you want, you need to do to, in order to be alive and healthy, it's possible, you know, you can bring your culture into this space. It's not just meant for certain things and, and not just certain. And I mean, like, when I mean, as you can bring your culture into space, I mean, at times where it's not quote unquote trendy, right? Because there's right. so many things that are trendy, you know, to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, so I say this and I, I, uh, I often say when I talk about nutrition that we're really talking about white American culture um, and there is a culture around white American food and like what is, you know, what's healthy and what's considered to be um, or, or what can kind of get that check mark of like you've done your good health related deed. Yes. Um, so imagine if you as someone, you know what I mean, 
who is first generation in this country. Um, Yes, you grew up here, but you do identify, you know, with your Greek family. If this is your experience, imagine somebody who is, has to check the box in the census for racial and ethnic minority, right? Yes. That they feel, you already feel damned. Like, you know what I mean? Your culture doesn't fit. Then it, then I say to the rest of, you know what I mean? The rest of the world yes. and listeners, imagine what it's like when you have a black, brown, Latinx or indigenous person saying, you know, uh, like, you know, how do I bring my foods and the things that I love into the conversation without, you know, a provider saying like, well, you just need to stop doing this. Right. Which is usually what happens. And at the top of that list is cut out the soda, because that's always the assumption, you know, Mm -hmm. that if someone comes from a racial or ethnic minority, um, that they must be drinking tons of soda. That's always the assumption. Um, and you know, that's not unequivocally true, right? Like we walk into spaces making that assumption. We don't know. We don't know. Um, I, I mean, there's so much to unpack. Yes, there really is. And that's, and I think that, you know, it's so, I, I love the idea that there are people and dietitians out there to help all sorts of people, um, from all different cultures meet their wellness goals in a way that, fits for them, you know, and, you know, and I see a lot of things like, okay, well, there's a lot of cultures that, you know, for example, white rice, you know, there's a lot of cultures, I mean, in the Greek culture, we, I mean, brown rice isn't really a thing. Like when we make dolmadas, when we make certain things like white rice is what they use. And there's nothing so, wrong with white rice. This is right. the other thing. It's like we have been indoctrinated to believe that there's something inherently wrong with white rice. There is not. The challenge is in this country, because of how kind of the trajectory of industrialization has gone and how we interact with food, really manufacturers have taken over and we've all left our kitchens. If we sat down and had a cup of rice, some vegetables and some beans, we would be fine. There's nothing wrong with that. The challenge is that most of us are reliant upon fast foods, packaged goods, because we're overworked, underinsured, you know what I mean? A hundred percent. Three, four and five jobs. So their social determinants of health and all the variables that they need to be healthy are not at their disposal. I mean, like, and I don't even know if this is true. I saw it like on social media and I have to go and I probably shouldn't even say it, but I have to go and look further, but it seems like overseas, there's some kind of campaign looking at food insecurity in the U S in comparison to like some European nations where they're like, America needs our help. So when we're talking, you know what I mean? This is how people see us from outside. When I was doing research for my book, Sophia, this the one that's coming out, I talked to a number of chefs from around the world And one of the Scandinavian chefs who's here in New York, um, they have chefs interns that come and work in the restaurant. That's like a Michelin star restaurant. And they said, oh yeah, before the interns come, we usually tell them uh, there's like a few things you want to bring when you come to the U.S. And you want to make sure that you bolster your immune system because you will get sick when you get here because of the food. Oh my gosh. Which is like, we're, we're supposed to be this 
such this advanced developing country. And it's, you look at things like this and it's like, we're sad. Like this is, and I fully agree with you that there's this culture here of work harder, do more, buy all the things. And we've moved away from the importance of things like sitting at a dinner table with your family, making time to slow down, um, enjoying like as the holidays are coming up, like enjoying time with the people you love. And you would think that the last few years would have maybe triggered some of this for people, but it doesn't seem to have. And it just, like you said, like sitting down and having a cup of white rice and veggies and some beans. I mean, that kind of sounds like our typical, you know, we do a lot of that because when my, I have three boys and when they have sports, I like to do simple meals because I don't have time for more than that. And that I talk about the well-balanced meal. I, I don't, I don't cut my carbs out. I, I mean, if I did cut my carbs out, I'd probably want to murder somebody by noon. I need my carbs. Um, <laughs> but like you said, like there's nothing wrong with that, but yet there is in this wellness space. Right. It's really funny. So my son is a vegetarian rock climber. Um, and, uh, <laughs> he cracks me up. We like always have these conversations. I'm like, so, you know, like how's lunch at school? Cause they provide lunch. Um, and there's like a number of stations. So there's like a hot station and there's a cold station. Um, and like, then there's usually like something he's at an international school. So like the food is pretty good. Um, and I said to him, I was like, is there enough? <laughs> it's like, right. Do you feel satisfied at the end of lunch? Uh, because, you know, I mean, he came down this morning and he had two slices of toast this morning. He had butter on them, but sometimes it's hummus. Sometimes it's like, you know, some nut butter with a little bit of honey. Um, and then he had a bowl of oats with fonio and um, assorted like berries. There were goji berries, blueberries, blackberries, and then shredded almonds and yogurt. Um, and he was off for the day. And then tonight he's going to be in the gym climbing from, I believe five to 10 PM, you know, he just, oh my gosh. League and it's like, you know, he eats a package of pasta on his own. Um, and I'm fine with all of it. In fact, I love it. Right. And he's like, he's growing so beautifully. He needs it. He needs the energy. And he's so strong. You know what I mean? Um, that can you tell we're like boy moms? We're like, we yes. love our sons. Um, <laughs> and uh, I have three of them. So my oldest one just turned 11 and plays all the sports. And I mean, he eats like he can eat us under the table and we're like, yeah. oh my gosh, you need to slow down. <laughs> Wait until they get older. Mine is, he's a, he's like a full teen and um now he has like realized Sophia like the the link between like what he puts in and his ability to like and it's so funny because he climbs climbs but like reach new heights and so you know he's like well what can I do to like get my vegetables and he's like could you make me a smoothie every morning I was like I can for some time but you're gonna need to learn how to do that on your own (laughs) you know um well, and what about, see, the thing, that's the thing is that for, we ha- we're raising this next generation of children that we want to be strong, we want to be healthy, we want to be all these things, yet we're raising, trying to raise them like away from this world of like demonizing certain foods because 
here's the reality. Yeah, we live a very comfortable life, but I've got three boys. There's no way I'm feeding three boys on fancy meals from Whole Foods. Like, I'm sorry. Like, I, there, we, we don't have the money for that. So we need to start getting down to like the basics of things that we can buy to fill them up that don't cost a million dollars. Because I, I mean, it's either that or going to college. Like we're either feeding you right. or we're helping you go to college. Like you can't do both. Expensive. I mean, I do research a lot for my patients to like look at different food costs and see, you know, where they can get the best deals and what are the ways that they can, you know, have a combination of fresh fruit, fresh, fresh foods, partially prepared foods, things that are like chopped and diced, things that are boxed, jarred, frozen, canned, to put, do you know what I mean? To put together kind of something that would be nourishing, uh, you know, for them over time and that is sustainable, right? Because right. the other thing too that we're talking about, well, so first of all, both of us are like incredibly health literate, health literate, you know? Um, and then the other thing is like, yeah, when it comes to literacy in general, we're also, also both quite literate. Um, and so, you know, I like to remind, you know, other dietitians and just people in general that like health literacy is not something that's taught in school. Nutrition literacy is not something that's taught in school. People read the front of packages. And if it says, you know, healthy, low in, better for you, superfood, they believe the packaging. And what they don't that's the marketing side. <laughs> exactly. Is that label claims, you know what I mean? On the front can say things, mm-hmm. but you really still have to flip that package over and read the nutrition facts label. The other thing too, is like, you know, people, I know many people who don't know how to make beans taste wonderful, right. you know? And it's like, it's really funny. You'll, you'll love this. So yesterday my daughter came home from school and my husband had picked her up at the bus and between school and tutoring, I think they stopped it. There's like a fancy schmancy coffee shop in our neighborhood. And they got that sells like vegan baked goods because I live in Brooklyn and that's, you know, that's what we have um, is. Uh, and so I think she got a piece of cake um, and I always go through her lunchbox because I make her lunch still um, to see what's left. And what was left was like six cucumber slices. And I put the cake and I just put the leftover cucumber slices. Like, I, you know, I always make plate the food and make it pretty. And in our house, no one ever questions that there would be a piece of cake with like cucumber slices. Um, and she ate both. And from her perspective, she was like, there wasn't like one was better or worse. Right. And also the other thing is like, I'm not really down with food waste. So like my kids also know, like if I send you to school with yogurt and oats and they come back, like I will take them out of your lunchbox, put them in a Tupperware and I will reincorporate it into tomorrow's meal. Cause that's just what I do. Totally. Um, You know? And so, but, but again, that's also like, a very specific type of thinking that's been cultivated over time, right? Like yes. you, we can enjoy that. And I also know, listen, I have one job, you know what I'm saying? I'm a dietitian. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, yes, I work long hours, you know what I mean? And I have a family and everything, but I'm not doing shift work, right? right. I'm not in a position where, you know, I stand for 10 hours, you know what I mean? And then I have to come home and take care of a multi-generational home. So like when it comes to social determinants of health, I recognize that 
for my patients who are dealing with really being marginalized. Um, and that's, and that right now is a large proportion of this country. Um, some of these conversations look really different. And so I respect that, you know, I want to say that, like, I respect that a lot. Right. And that's like, so that's my thing. You know, you have people that are like, oh, you know, we need to get rid of these fast food places and put in these healthy joints and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, let's take a step back here. We, we have, we have like these people that are essential workers that have basically been carrying us for the last two years who work tirelessly and then come home to have, you know, with, to their families and their children. And they don't have the money nor the time to prepare these fancy meals. So maybe instead of getting rid of the fast food places, how about, you know, the education behind where can we have some options that work for our actual life and, you know, the wellness that we need, like people don't get that. I, I, you know, I think it's really, um, like when we're looking at, you know, across demographics and what it means to have access to safe, affordable and nutritious food, you know, what it means to live in a place where the cost of living is well beyond a person's means, you know, those conversations always, when we look at data and we look at statistics, point back to systems that have been built over hundreds of years that really keep marginalized communities on the fringes, you know, right. And also keep people in specific positions. Right. I always say that, you know, when there is someone who has, and is in a position of power, they are reticent to actually give that up and say, they want to make space. Right. You know, it's not like someone, you know, it's not like people are going to say, oh, I'm going to give up a piece of the power that I have so that we can talk about equity, right? Yeah. And equity. That, that's not happening in this country. No. However, people will say, I want truck drivers to get all of my goods to me, you know what I mean? And drive right. long haul across the country overnight. But then they complain about the rising cost of whatever that good is. Yes. You know, people say they want people to have an equitable and fair wage, but then they complain when Whole Foods says now we're adding a $9 delivery fee. Oh, why are you doing that? Well, Whole Foods just announced, sorry, or sorry, Amazon, which is Whole Foods, just announced that nationwide there's a $15 minimum wage. Where does that come from? Right. Which in today's world is, I I mean, insufficient. Yeah. I mean, the cost of life is like, we make a comfortable living and we have seen the impact of the rising costs of things. I cannot imagine how that has affected so much. And I would be happy to pay for a service when I know somebody it's going straight to somebody, somebody's life and not to some person that doesn't need it. I guess I can say (laughs) No, I mean, but that's the thing is that, see, this, the conversation around food, equity, wellness, it's all intertwined, right? And, yes. the, and there is no perfect solution except for dismantling the systemic inequities and rebuilding it from a just perspective. However, 
that's still going to impact the top 1%. And I guarantee you people who are in those spaces are not interested in making changes, right? Or there are very few that are. I mean, I, I, I have a very, very good friend who is in one of those spaces and their family does so much, so much. It's amazing. And I wish that that was more people out there. Right, but right. So the, there's a small proportion of people, you know what I mean, who, who are actively saying like, you know, we're willing to see the redistribution, you know what I mean, of services. Because really what we're talking about, you know, in nutrition and wellness and improving health outcomes are like, how do you bring funding into communities that are, you know, historically underfunded? How do you bring proper health care into those communities? How do you make sure that, you know, where the rates of diabetes and cardiovascular disease are incredibly high, that before people even have a diagnosis and they're on the border, that they're, they're encouraged to follow up and that they are provided with nutrition services. And there is a discussion around, this is a place where you can have consistent access to food and where they have, you know, you know, FMLA and paid time off. Like it's all linked. There's no way that people can get well when the systems are working against them. Well, exactly. And, you know, one big thing for me has always big question for me is always, I always say, you only know what you know. You don't know things you don't know. So how do we provide wellness education in these communities so that people can feel that they have the tools to help advocate for themselves and to have, because they don't, you know, you don't know if you're not educated, like you said, like this is natural to us, but it is not natural to most people, especially people in lower income communities. They're focusing on going to work Make, you know, trying to make a living, trying to keep their family afloat. Right. And because primary and, needs but, are not met. Right. So, how do we deliver and how do we get wellness education into these communities? Because they don't have the time <laughs> to go after they've worked a 15 hour day to go learn something. Like, how can we weave this into like life somehow? And, you know, and one thing, you know, I always think I was a teacher for 14 years. And one thing for me is, okay, fine. It's important. The math science, like the math, writing, reading, all those things are extremely important, but how can we maybe weave wellness education into this next generation? Because I truly think that, that it starts from, from when you're young and we can make a difference, but weaving it into schooling when they're young is such a great way. And not just mentioning it through a science lesson. I mean, like a legit program that it's part of your day because it is so important. Your wellness and your health is so important. And it's, it, the research shows that when they start at, when you start young, it lays the groundwork for when you're older. And there are some great organizations. I actually sit on the board of wellness in the schools and it's a nationwide organization that does exactly that. They go into schools in specific school districts um, and there are scratch cooking programs and there's nutrition education programs. Um, there's also uh, programming for the community. Um, and it's all centered around, you know, wellness, as it says, right, in the schools. And so there are organizations. Also, another one comes to mind, which is the Campaign Against Hunger in New York City, which is a food bank. Um, and they have... Um, 
you know, mobile units, well, pre-COVID, and I think they're coming back soon, mobile units that go around and do nutrition education and food demos, and they have a chef, they have youth farms. Um, and I know that there are a number of, um, I think, Black and people of color-led farms in upstate New York that are also involved in nutrition education, as well as some on the West Coast. And I think I've there are few pretty prominent ones, I think even in like the Metro DC area. Um, So people are out there, they're doing the work, they're talking about, you know, agency and people taking kind of taking back, you know, space and saying, this is something that I want to prioritize for me. Um, And so it's happening, right, which is exciting. Um, but the systems, you know, are still like really, really broken. And it's funny, I say to my students all the time, you know, I'm like, if there's anyone that wants to go into law or policy, well, we need you, you know, yeah, um, because that's also another place where we see these major shifts, right? When we're talking about, you know, what gets reimbursed and whether or not nutrition is covered at like a top tier um, versus a community or a city plan, right? And, yes. and what kind of nutrition is covered? Is it preventative nutrition or are you, you know what I mean? Or is it only once there's a diagnosis? Um, and so I agree with you, right? We want to see shifts in curriculum with school-age children. Um, I would love to see something, you know, with all early head starts getting uh, funding, you know, to have a community garden, right? Right. Um, like there, there are so many ways that we could reimagine how nutrition gets woven into the fabric of culture in this country, yes. right? Um, yes. And and in a way that is not damaging, right? Not in a binary from a binary perspective. You know, um, you can have your cake and your cucumbers, right? And it's right. Um, and I, I mean, I think my daughter actually has like one of the best, you know, outlooks uh, <laughs> when it comes to food, you know, like, you know, after Halloween, all the candy came back and she decided she was like, I'm going to set some ground rules around this. She did not mean she wrote this note. And she's like, everyone can have three pieces of candy per day until it's all gone. And I was like, all right, awesome. You know, so I was like, have your candy whenever you want to have it. Um it's your choice. You have your three, you wrote the rule. And so believe, believe it or not, we all followed it. And, um, and then the candy was gone and nobody was upset. My little one, my little one gave away all his candy on Halloween night. He had like five pieces. He's like, eh, I'm done. All right. She, she, they did some trading and she only came back with the choice things. So it was like, pretty much, it was like Snickers, like you know it was like the premium stuff yeah like she she weeded out all the stuff and actually gave it back to the public so like they were at a friend's place and like they you know picked out the good things that they wanted she had like a smaller bag and then everything that she did not find valuable like literally was like she like some candy (laughs) well and I just that's the thing is that there's a place for everything and you know one of my least favorite words and I I know so many people use this word, but I hate the word clean eating. It like, it gnaws at my nerves. I, I, I have never liked it. I just, it makes me feel like, what does that even mean? 
and I just, I don't like it. I don't like it used around my kids. I just, I want my kids to know that there's, there's no such thing as good and bad when it comes to food. There's things that give your body um, nutrition and that looks very, it, it's a wide range of things and it, it looks in different ways. And there's things that we can enjoy, but you probably don't want as your main source of fuel because your body's not going to love it after a certain period of time. Right. Well, I mean, right. It's about, it's around um, what do you expose yourself to the majority of time? Right. You know, like, I mean, there's certain things that I think of that give me like unadulterated joy and that I think of as my comfort foods, you know, and I generally only get them when I travel simply because it's very hard to come by in this country. Um, but you better believe that whenever I get like, there's my husband's Swiss and um, in Switzerland, there's this thing called a Volkorn Gipfeli and it's a, a croissant that is like made with some kind of whole grain, but it also has some seeds in it. So it's like, um, and if, this is so funny, there are like some words that I learned from him that I just don't know in English. Um, I think it's whole, it is whole grain flour, but it's not like how we think of whole grain flour because uh-huh. it's different there and it's delicious. Like it's absolutely delicious. So like you, you have to know when I go there, I'm going to enjoy my Volcorn Gipfeli with a cup of coffee, 100%. And when I go to the Caribbean, you know, where my biological family is from, there is a place in Tobago that I probably within eight hours of landing, you will find me at Miss Trim's getting my curry crab and dumpling because it makes me very happy. And depending on the time of day may or may not be with a beer, um, you know, but a, a very, very cold one. And like, there's no way that I wouldn't enjoy those things. And but right. they happen once in a while, you know what I mean? And, and that's the other thing It's like, we have such a black and white thinking and we assign words like, oh, it's a treat. And it's like, we also demonize comfort foods. Like why right. should feel good with eating something? You know what I mean? Like I, I, it, I have so many memories that, you know, like come to me when I eat those foods. Um, and that's just like a huge part of who I am in my life. And I would hope that other people get to enjoy that as well in their lives without feeling, you know, damned by the food related behavior. And that kind of makes a circle back to what we talked about at the beginning is that food is more than just, um, you know, the process of eating to so many people and in so many cultures. And in fact, I would argue that in most cultures, food, you know, food brings people together. Um, In the Greek culture, I grew up with, if you've ever seen my big fat Greek wedding, I mean, it is 100% true. Like when I grew up, people would come over, my mom would feed them. That's just what you do. That's kind of like what I do. You know, my best friends growing up, my mom makes a spanakopita that rivals all spanakopitas. And they asked for her her spanakopita for their birthday. That's what they wanted right. for birthday. So p- food means more than just, you know, like fuel to a lot of people. And when you come from a certain culture and you enter spaces like the vegan space, the, you know, whatever space it is, being able to open up and accept that it's going to look differently from people, you know, the wellness world that different types of foods, just because they include white rice or just because they include pork or whatever. I mean, the reality is I have yet to see any research that shows that somebody eating a 100% plant-based diet 100% of the time is light years healthier than somebody mostly 
putting plants into their body most of the time and allowing space to enjoy other things as well. Yep, totally. 100%. Also, by the way, it's really funny. I often say this too. You know, there are patterns of eating that are vegan, you know, and plant based, 100% plant based, um, that people don't ever talk about. You know, like if you think about, (laughs) you know, certain people, you know, around the world who have just eaten this way for a long time, right? It's like, I, you know, there's a lot of flavor. There's a lot of spice. There are a lot of layers and it's not just like wilted greens, which can be delicious. You know what I mean? Don't get me wrong. Listen, I, 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 I could get down Sophia with, you know, wilted green salad for breakfast. Um, Cause but I it's am, not the only way. <laughs> right. But it's not the only way, you know what I mean? Like it's literally not the only way. And, and, and that's, I think that's it, right? It's not the only way. And that's, and it's not new. And that's the thing is people think this wellness space is new. Whereas most cultures, like I kind of said in the beginning with my mom, like in most, a lot of areas and a lot of cultures around the world, meat was a delicacy. It wasn't a center part of their meal. Meat was something you ate when you could afford it. Meat was something you ate during special events. Most of the time you ate grains and veggies and beans and things like that. So veganism is, I mean, I know, and I know veganism as a whole is more than just about food. It's, you know, a lifestyle, which I fully respect if that is, you know, what you choose. Um, But vegan foods, plant-based foods, that has been part of people's cultures forever. And to not include that in the space is almost like a slap in the face. Like, Hey, we've invented this long time ago. (laughs) But it's the same thing with yoga. You know what I mean? you walk into these yoga spaces and you're like, for real, <laughs> that's, you know what I mean? That's sometimes my response where I'm like, really, you know, like and my, <laughs> my favorite yoga teacher, um, when I was in a studio before COVID, um, actually my favorite one always started the class with an actual, like it, talking about, you know, um, a, like the meaning behind certain things of yoga. Yeah. Like she always had one point and I actually really love that. I love to feel the meaning, um, to learn the meaning and to hear about, you know, the different part of it, um, and what it meant versus wearing, you know, cute yoga clothes and bending your body. Like there's so much more behind it. And my children's school district, actually my children's school, they have yoga as part of their, um, wheel, they call it, you know, they have all those extra things and yoga is part of their wheel. And I absolutely love it. But about 10 or so years ago, there was a huge fight in this community, um, which is, you know, an upper middle class, predominantly white community about how um, they didn't want yoga in schools because it's religious. And I was like, well, yes, I guess, kind of, but it's so much more than that. It's more, you know, there's, it's, it's history. It's, you know, and, and you want your kids to be culturalized because you want them to learn about all these things yet. You don't want them to learn about something different. Ooh, that's deep. Yeah. That's so, huh? yeah. So I don't know. That's a whole nother conversation, but oh my God, this- that is, that's like another conversation. Like that's one of the, I mean, I, I like to run and when, you know, that's like a conversation for me that happens over a run Yeah, <laughs> and a long one. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just, I guess I come from a space, you know, like I, I, I come from a place of deep culture and I live in an, you know, and, and I love where I live and I have wonderful friends and I don't associate with people that don't, you know, like to think outside the box. It's just not my cup of tea. You know, you do, you fine, do whatever, but I want my kids to be accepting of all, um, all races, all cultures, you know, 
all types of people because my kids, that is their culture too. Like they, you know, they have culture in their life. And I, and I love that, you know, one of my son's best friends is Jewish and he's going to have a bar mitzvah. And we are just talking about this at his birthday. We did a joint birthday party with a few different kids about how cool I think that is that one day my son, you know, gets to experience this difference, this something different and see one of his good friends go through this cultural, you know, thing that his family does. And I think that's really neat. Um, I agree. That, mm-hmm. um, anyway, this has been a wonderful conversation. And I love that. I just, I love having these conversations because I feel like they need to happen more, but I struggle with, you know, the online space because there's I, I, just so many people that like to insert themselves and are just wrong, but whatever. <laughs> um, <laughs> I love it. I know, I know, I know. And, and sometimes, sometimes I put my hand on my head, Sophia, and then I just shake my head back and forth. And I just say, you know, why? Right? Like, like, why? When, when we have the discussion that we just had, you know what I mean? And that's like a a scratch on the surface. But it's like, if these are the real issues at hand, why are you still out there telling people that they need to have lettuce water? You don't. Yeah. You know what I mean? And why are you telling people there's only one to be well when there's not? Yes. And you know what, if you want to make lettuce water and you have time to make lettuce water, go make your lettuce water. I, I don't know. Maybe you need a job or a hobby. And then please have some beans after, because if you're just having what lettuce water, I'm going to be very concerned. Well, and that's why you're so angry. That's why you're so angry because all you drink is lettuce water because you, when you're, you know, that's the thing. It's like, we need to fuel ourselves. And that's like what I, that's what I, my, my point is with the kids is that if we, if we, if we raise this next generation to be fueled correctly, they will be, it's so connected with mental health. They will be happier. They will be more productive. They will give back to society. And it's just this cycle that we need to pop out of. And gosh, I really thought these last couple of years would help. And I, I just, I feel like our nation currently is just more divided than anything. And I told somebody the other day that I have noticed, I generally don't get a lot of trolls or a lot of negative comments because I'm very clear in my wellness space and in my social media space that if you are disrespectful, I'm not even going to talk to you about it, but you are blocked and deleted. I don't respond to that BS. I just block, delete, not having that conversation. Um, But I have noticed such an uptick of negativity. And I, I think it's just the world that we're living in right now. And it really makes me sad. I agree. And I'll say this too, like, you know, I'm, I'm all about be negative when there's overt hate, right? Be negative when someone is like, you know, infringing on someone's personal rights. Sure. Fine. Be angry. Right. Cause I get angry too. And I have a lot of passion. Yes. But when we're talking about creating inclusive wellness, there's nothing to be mad about. (laughs) No, not at all at all. There's like nothing to be mad about. Um, and you know, I, I, I'm sorry that you experienced that, you know what I mean? And, and it makes me, honestly, I can say, you know, it makes me sad to think that this is where we're headed, where people feel that they have permission in a faceless way to just lash out when it's completely unwarranted. And that frankly, too, I can say, you know, I think it's frightening, right? Because I agree what's happening, then it's like these conversations that we're having become even more important, right? Well, and if people are that angry about food, oh my gosh. 
Right, right, right. If we're saying, you know what I mean? If we're saying we need to increase access to fruits and vegetables in mar- marginalized communities and that elicits a negative response, then yeah, we, we have some serious, serious work to do. A hundred percent because food should never be something you're insecure about. Like that should be a, that's a basic human right. Like you don't, there's no basic human rights that you should be able to go on your cruise or, or go, you know, to whatever, but food and water and shelter, those are basic human rights. And until we can get everybody, these basic human rights, like how can we move, I, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm known as what's an empath and I've learned this the last couple of years with everything happening. I didn't know it was an empath until, um, uh, one of these, you know, thing, huge things that have happened over these last couple of years, I found myself in a really dark place for, you know, getting involved in it. And I realized that I take on other people's emotions. So I have to watch my own mental health and, and how much I get involved in things because it really takes me down like big time. But the thought of people, children, families out there not having access to what to basic needs like food, just it breaks my heart. And I would say, you know, yeah, that's something to get mad about. Yeah, totally. Well, I so appreciate you being here and thank you so much for taking the time and thank you for all that you do. Um, I just think it's amazing. And, you know, I, I hope that, that's my goal is one day after I have raised my children to be able to get involved more with other things. My mother used to, before, you know, COVID and everything, she used to volunteer and was a a mentor at the um, Monarch school here in San Diego. And the Monarch school is a school for homeless children. And I used to, when I was teaching um, before I had, you know, kids and whatever, I used to go down there every once in a while and volunteer with her. And, and the one thing I will say that um, struck me is at the time I was teaching in Del Mar, California, which is a very high income affluent area. Mm-hmm. And I would volunteer at this home of school with my mom. And what's interesting is that the kids are the same. They're, yeah. The things they like are the same. They're, the things they talk about are the same. They're, you know, the, the basic needs and, and what they want is the same. And the difference is that, you know, these kids, don't have a home and live in a shelter. And these kids have a home probably bigger than can fit like six families. But the the bottom line is children across, like they still are the same and we need to protect all of them. And we need to just really start some change because it's, it's crazy to me. Um, and I really hope to be able to do more things when I've raised my children. Cause right now I'm in the thick of it. <laughs> Don't I know it? Don't I know it? Um, I know to the kids and I agree. Um, You know, the last thing that I'll say is that, um, yeah, just because somebody is unhoused or just because somebody lives in a low income area, just because someone doesn't have access to the, you know, variables that are needed for them to express optimal health has nothing to do with morals, values, or their worth, because we're all worthy, right? Right. And we're all incredibly valuable. Um, And there's no hierarchy about whether or not that person is better than their neighbor who may have more or less. Um, And I think that, you know, if we're thinking really about providing equitable patient-centered care, 
then we acknowledge our own implicit bias, right? And then we really work to collaborate with our patients and the people that we're serving so that we make help make an impact and um, allow them to be a major contributor and driver to their own healthcare story and journey. And I would add to that and say that when, because like you said, we all have implicit bias, we can't help that. It's just, it is what it is. But when perhaps we make a mistake or um, say something that is incorrect and we're corrected, be be open to that on both sides. Don't get angry that you're corrected and don't get angry that somebody may not know because again, we only know what we know, but there should be a, you know, we should be accepting of learning and growing and doing better. And I would hope that if there's something that I say that's incorrect that I don't know about, someone will correct me so I can learn because that's the only way we learn. Yep. Yep. I think that that's a perfect closing. Yes. And thank you. And all of the people listening, I truly hope you enjoyed this episode. And thank you so much for being so supportive of my podcast. Um, If you love it and you listen on the Purple Podcast app, please rate and review it because the more I get, the more I can get access to amazing guests like Maya today and give you information that will help you grow in health and wellness altogether. So Thank you. And thank you so much for being here again. Thanks for having me, Sophia. And thanks to your listeners.